Um, anyway, Merry Christmas uh, and a pre-Happy New Year. It's, it's coming. If you're on Facebook, you would have seen. If you're not on Facebook, uh, we headed down to Medford on Wednesday um, to be on Monica's family. It's, what, like a four and a half hour drive, two hours and sort of 15 minutes into that. Our car decided it would no longer function. <laughs> The, turns out, the comp- well, I, here's the deal. I decided, like, we switched. Monica was driving at this point, and I was taking a nap. So seven minutes into my nap, <laughs> I'm woken up by the smell of burning plastic. And Monica, like, I'm like, like, Monica doing things and saying things to the kids. I'm like, what's happened? She's like, the car just died. So we're, like, too far to make it home, and we're too far to make it there. Uh, so, so that was our excitement. So we ended up, we, God in his grace, the car died right on an off-ramp So that was downhill. Someone just switched the car off, rolled down the hill, and it was less than a mile from a garage. So she called them, they came, they towed us round. One of those guys drove us down to Roseburg to Enterprise. We got a car, and three hours behind schedule, we made it to Medford. <laughs> so... I flew back last night. Monica gets to drive the rental car home in a couple of days, and we'll see how that goes, and then we'll figure out car stuff. Woot, woot. So that was our Christmas. Hopefully yours was fun. <laughs> uh, hopefully you didn't have a, a car breakdown uh, along the way. But, you know, all fun and games. We laughed, we smiled, uh, and we made it. <clears throat> so, <laughs> so I'm here, <laughs> sort of. Um, but anyway... Always good to be back with you. You know, um, we're going to continue the Advent series. You know, Advent is typically the season on the lead up to Christmas. We're just extending it one more week. And there's a reason for that. First of all, when it comes to Advent and the Advent themes, there are five. Because an Advent wreath, there's five candles. And so you usually do the four Sundays up to Christmas, and then you light the final one on Christmas Day. Um, and so we're kind of going to do that today. Um, but as I was processing and thinking, uh, I saw a post online by one of my faith heroes, um, and, and it articulated what I was thinking about with extending Advent an extra week. And this is Pete Gregg, who founded the 24-7 prayer movement. And he wrote simply, you know, Christmas for consumers is over. Christmas for the world's two billion Christians just began. Um, and for most of the world right now, it's all geared towards the presents, the things you buy, and as soon as Christmas Day happens, the season is finished, and it's on to what's next, Valentine's Day. So I'm sure if you go into Fred Meyer today, there's Valentine's Day stuff there already. Um, but for us as believers, Christmas is the start of the story, and it comes at the end of the year, and so we're supposed to leave the Christmas season and walk into the new year with the idea of incarnation in our minds. So, so the challenge is, how do we walk into 2021 with this concept of Emmanuel, God with us, carrying us in to this new season? Um, if you're anything like me, you're looking at 2020 going, I'm so glad it's almost over. Uh, the, the, the new year marker ends, ends a, a horrible, crazy, tumultuous season, and we get to walk into this fresh start. So let's walk into this fresh start, carrying this promise of Emmanuel, God with us. So the Advent themes normally go hope, peace, joy, and love, which we've covered. And then on the wreath, there's four candles around the outside, and there's a central candle, the Christ candle, that represents light. 
And so the theme of the, the fifth sort of message of Advent is usually a message around light. Um, and I, I always think it's beautiful, just God and his creativity, uh, that thousands of years ago, as these events were happening, that the, the incarnation would happen at the darkest time of the year. So that the idea of light is just such a beautiful image in the middle of these shortest days that we get to walk in. So we're going to look at light. And I, wa- I want to look at one of, it's probably my favorite story in the whole like birth narrative in scripture. Um, so we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. This is the, the telling of Simeon and Anna. Um, and, and I think it's probably one of the most overlooked parts of this sort of birth narrative story around Christmas. So we're going to look uh, in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 22, and I'm going to read through it, and then we'll go back through it uh, and add in some details. So let's just read this part of the story. So this is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed the child and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Whenever I read this story, there's a few things that come into my mind. First of all, I so desperately want to live a life like Simeon and Anna. Like, if I could choose Bible characters to be like, I want to be like Simeon and Anna. These people, righteous, devout, responding to the Spirit, worshiping day and night, uh, and encountering God in that. Um, The next thought becomes, as I think about this church, oh, I wish and I hope that this church would be filled with Simeon and Annas. And to some degree we are, but there's always more growth to go. 
And then as I look ahead to the future, oh God, would you raise up a generation of people that come through our doors, Simeons and Annas, who lead the church forward into the next generations. That's, this passage just gets me so excited. Um, I think Simeon and Anna, as we look at their story, as we look at their posture, as we look at some of the little hints and tips that Luke gives us through this story, I think these characters can give us the right perspective as we walk out of 2020. 20 and into 2021. So that's why I want to look at them. And um, what's the perspective that they're offering us as we walk in to this new season? So let's jump back to the start of the passage and just look at a few details um, and see what it has to say um, as we look at this new year that's coming. So look, look too, you know, when, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. So there's a couple of things in, in this part of the story. So we, this has taken place like, I mean, you're talking probably six weeks after the actual birth moment. So this is a little bit delayed, which is why it's not usually included in the nativity, which is weird because technically probably the Magi were arriving almost two years after Jesus was born, but, but who knows. Um, and in this passage, this is the, the story that we come to where we, where we get the, the key hints about Jesus' poverty. So if, we've talk, if you've talked about that or explored that before, this is the point where we understand the, the impoverished nature of Jesus' family. So if we jump back to Leviticus, I've written Leviticus 1, it should be Leviticus 12. Leviticus 12 gives the, the kind of instructions for how the Jewish people were to deal with the firstborn son. So at the beginning of Leviticus 12, the Lord says to Moses, say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. So when you're pregnant by nature of giving birth to a son or child, you're unclean. Isn't that lovely and fair? Um, <laughs> you're ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as during your monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are, are over. So the passage you're reading is starting by saying after this period of purification has happened, they're making their way to the temple. So we've had eight days and Jesus has been circumcised. We've had at least 33 days for her to be purified um, and cleansed. And part of this, you know, it, it's always funny when you read Old Testament laws. We've got to remember a bunch of blood <laughs> led to a bunch of diseases. And they didn't have all the products that we have. They didn't have all the health care that we have. So this is actually a, a statement not to uh, disqualify a woman from the presence of God, but to protect her because she's just given birth. It's been traumatic. She didn't have an epidural. Um, she didn't have all the care. So this was a time for her to rest and recover before she was required to go back and go about the Jewish ritual. So this is actually a really gracious uh, statement that's made in here. The passage goes on, when the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she's to bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she's to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And this way, the priest can make atonement for her and she will be made clean. So, so that little, the, the context of what Luke has drawn on here, Mary and Joseph, they come, they give their offering of, of two doves 
um, because they don't have the, the means to be able to offer the lamb that is required. So, so this, this Savior born in poverty, raised in poverty, is just such a beautiful, again, reminder of what Jesus is doing as he reverses everything. He leaves the glory and the riches of heaven to come and dwell in poverty that he can give to us all of the riches of heaven when we live in spiritual poverty. It's just such a beautiful reversal that's in here. So that's kind of setting up what's happening, that the law is being adhered to. It's given us some biographical information about Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. But then the story takes this turn as they arrive in the temple, and it begins to focus on Simeon and Anna. And right before this, we've just had the birth narrative, and we've had the shepherds appear and be the first witnesses. And as many people would, would potentially posit to us uh, not very good or reliable witnesses that are the first witnesses that bear witness to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and he's come. So that's just happened. We've had the shepherds as these dubious witnesses. Now what is happening in the story is they walk into the temple. So you've had a field out there with these questionable characters. Now you're walking into the temple, the center of the Jewish faith, the center of the presence of God. And you've got two new witnesses that are bearing witness to who Jesus is and testifying to who he is. But these witnesses represent everything that is good and, and holy and wholesome about the law. So you've got these two witnesses, Simeon and Anna, and we're going to look at this and see Simeon really represents the law. Um, the statements about him are his devoutness, his adherence to the law. You've got Anna, who's referred to as a prophet. So in these two witnesses, it's not just Simeon and Anna, but they represent the testimony of all of the law and the prophets pointing to the person of Jesus. Um, in, in the way Jesus reverses everything in their society, it now no longer becomes just the men of the faith that testify to who Jesus is. It's a male and a female here representing this transition that happens in the church as women are called alongside men to bear the message to the world. And, and, and there's this transformation of barriers that happens in this moment. All the way through Luke's gospel, he's the one highlighting the role of women. He's the one emphasizing Mary. He's the one pulling Anna in uh, and, and highlighting her story. So he's showing this is the law and the prophets. It's the wealthy and the poor. It's the male and the female. It's the respected and the despised. That's all of this story up to this point is showing us that like, everyone is incorporated. Now, remember again, Matthew and we're not going to talk about all the Gospels, but just compare Matthew and Luke. Matthew is writing to Jewish people. And so everything he's doing is showing how the law, uh, how Jesus fulfills the law, how he's the Messiah that's been promised. Luke is expanding it, and he's showing how this is something that's for everybody. It's not just for the Jewish people, but it's for all Gentiles. And so everything Luke is doing is showing the breadth of, of the witness, the breadth of the reach, the breadth of the people that are saved, the breadth of the people that are called. And so again, here, law and prophets, male and female, he's expanding the barriers to show that this is for everyone. And we'll see more of that as, as the, the passage goes on. So, we're getting started, right? <laughs> 
So all the way through the, these stories, like Luke, the gospel, any, any writer in scripture, they've been so intentional about the details that they're given. Luke here is given lots of specific details that we miss that are pointing ahead to some really important truths. So, so in the next part of the story, he begins using this pattern of threefold repetition. So he's going to say things three times to really highlight to us the importance of something. So he begins in Luke chapter 2 by highlighting the importance of obedience to the law. And he's setting up this character, Simeon, that's about to arrive. So, so, so look at in, in Luke 2, 22 to 24, when the time of purification rites required by the law of Moses, uh, Joseph and Mary took him to present the Lord as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord to offer sacrifice and keeping what is said in the law of the Lord. So, so in this two verse or three verse chunk, he's highlighting that these are people who are obeying the law. So obedience to the law is central to Jewish faith. It's what gives them their legitimacy. And, and he's about to introduce this character who's righteous and devout. Um, but he's setting this up. It's all in terms of obedience to the Jewish law that this has taken place. Um, but then he kind of does this little twist in the story that if you're not paying attention to these repetitions, you don't notice, that he highlights that there's something different about Simeon that marks him different to the religious leaders who are also walking in obedience to the law. So in verse 25, he says, now there's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. So he's just tying it into what was just said. He's obeying the law. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So, so Luke is trying to show that there's something special in this person, Simeon. He's a man who is devoted to the law, who's walking in obedience, but he's also a man whose life is marked by the Spirit of God working in his life. And so it raises the question again for us, as people who are trying to live out our faith, some of us do very well at the walking in obedience to the law. We read the Bible. We know it inside out. We're not so good at responding to the Spirit, listening to the voice of God, being ready in a moment to be used by Him to communicate to someone else. Some people love to sit around and listen to the Spirit and talk in words and pictures, and they're terrible at being in the Word and knowing what it says. And, and, and Luke is setting up this story of the birth of Jesus and the birth of the church as, as the Word of God and the law of God and the Spirit of God come together perfectly in people in order to move us to do what God is asking us to do. So as we're going to walk into 2021, where do you fall on the spectrum? Are you good at the obedience to the law part? Are you good at the prompting of the spirit part? We want to be people that walk in both. We want to be a church marked by a, a grounding in scripture and an openness to the voice of the spirit as he moves. I think it's interesting too, as, as you look at this particular passage, he mentions the Spirit three times, but he kind of mentions three different versions of what the Spirit is doing in his life. Um, so you've got the Spirit on him. Um, for us, that would be the Spirit in us or within us or the Spirit indwelling us. He's pre-Jesus, so they don't have the indwelling Spirit. The Spirit would fall on people, empower them for a season, and then depart. 
we have the amazing Spirit indwelling us. Then you see the Spirit revealing to him. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit that these things would happen. So the Spirit is the revealer. And we talked about that in Ephesians 1, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And then you have this moment, depending on your translation, some will say moved by the Spirit, some will say guided by the Spirit, some will say led by the Spirit, but the, but the Spirit leading them into a place that, of, of obedience and, and into the next step that they're supposed to be engaged in. So, so it, it, it amazes me, you know, three little verses given this deep theology of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. He indwells us, he reveals the truth of God to us, and he leads us into the things that God is asking us to do. So three things there, so that means there's three things that, that can go wrong in this process. Number one, if, if the Spirit is indwelling us, or you could talk about being full of the Spirit, the, the first question becomes, do we have it? <laughs> Like, are we full of the Spirit? Do we have the indwelling Spirit? So, I mean, you gave your life to Jesus, everyone in here is a believer, so you have the Spirit indwelling you. But then there's the question of being filled with the Spirit. Are you living in the fullness of the Spirit? Are you living in full surrender to Him? Do you have it? And um, the second one, the Spirit reveals. If the Spirit reveals, then we cannot listen. <laughs> Um, Simeon listened to the revelation of the Lord, and it, and it led to this moment that, that we're about to see. Um, but as the Spirit is revealing to us, the question is, are we listening to what it is that he's saying? Um, if the Spirit leads, then we have the ability to not obey. So as the Spirit is leading you in the things that he's asking you to do, are you obeying the, the leading of the Spirit? So there's three ways that we can go off here. As believers, really, there's only two because we have the indwelling of the Spirit. But are you, are you listening? Are you cultivating the habit of listening to the Spirit? Are you cultivating the promptness of responding to His leading? Um, as we walk into 2021, this should be a commitment of ours that we would be uh, prioritizing practices of, of listening to the revelation of the Lord and responding to His leading. That should be the primary things that we're focused on as we move forward. On into uh, verse 29. When the parents brought in the child to Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So, You read this story and it's, it, it just it happens so quickly and so succinctly, it's easy to kind of miss what's happening. So you've got this guy who is living a normal life in obedience to the Lord. So he's not a priest. It says he's a, a righteous and devout Jew. So this is not like a holy person that's in the temple. This is a normal person doing a normal job, um, but living in obedience to the law. And one day, as he's praying, he receives this revelation from the Lord that he's not going to die until he sees, he's, he's not going to die before he sees the Messiah. Uh, and, and, and so he's waiting on this moment. And then this day, he, he feels this prompting by the Spirit to head to the temple. And so he obeys the, the leading of the Spirit, and he goes to the temple. And as he arrives in the temple, this guy who, it says, he's been awaiting the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? He's waiting for the Messiah to come. He's waiting for this comfort that's going to come 
comfort ye, O my people, Isaiah 40. He's waiting for this moment um, when, when the Messiah will return, everything will be put right. So his whole life is living in expectation of this Messiah. He receives this revelation. He feels this prompting, and he just, this day, I'm sure he did it many days. He just went to the temple. This day, he feels this prompting by the Spirit to go to the temple, and he walks into the temple, and it just so happens to be the same time that Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus into the temple. So if he delayed, this is the thing for me with this story, if he'd just been like, let me just put on a cup of tea, uh, we'll put on a pot of tea, we'll have a little cuppa, we'll finish fixing the door, and then maybe, maybe later when it's a little bit more convenient, like I'll head up to the temple, he'd have missed it. You know? If he got up that morning and just said, you know, I think I'll go to the temple early, I'll kind of get it done, just go ahead with my day, just check off the box this morning, let's get to the temple, he would have missed it. But this is like his response to the Spirit that allows him to arrive at the temple right as Mary and Joseph bring in Jesus. So when they bring him into the temple uh, to do what was required of him by the custom of the law, Simeon just happens to be there. He takes him in his arms. He's so ready. He's so in tune with the Spirit. He's so responsive. He's so uh, awaiting and expectant that he sees this baby comes in and he just knows what this child is that's there. And, and this is why th this kind of messes with my head. And, and I'm like, you have to stop. Like, this is a guy who is a devout Jew. So he's used to walking into the temple. What is the temple? It's the place set aside to be the intersection of heaven and earth. It's the place where God's presence dwells, right? But these people are living in disobedience to the law. Some of them have been exiled. A different nation has come in and is ruling them. So they're not living the way they're supposed to be living. I'm pretty sure if they're walking into the Holy of Holies, I'm pretty sure God's not just sitting there waiting on them. Uh, uh, there's that one day a year where the, the high priest can walk in there. So, so they're walking at this temple. All these Jews going through the motions of sacrifices and religion and missing the presence of God. And here Mary and Joseph bring God in human form into the temple. So the presence of God in a human body is finally standing in the temple or being held in the temple. And everyone round about is going about life as normal and missing that God is standing right in the middle of the temple where everyone is coming to meet him. But one guy is so, his eyes are so fixed on the Lord. He's so responsive to the spirit. He's living with such a desire to obey the law that he walks in the door and as soon as he sees that baby, he knows he knows the presence of God. He walks up, he picks up this little baby and he holds it and he utters this blessing and prayer. As you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. You, like, I'm happy to die now. I've seen the Messiah. Like, this is the highlight of life. Like, I know Jesus. I'm ready. Nothing's holding me back. This was the moment that my life has been waiting for. Is that the way we're living? As, like, I, I know many of us, it's like, I'm walking into 2021. I just want coronavirus to be gone. It's like, I, it, is that the hope of 2021? Or the hope of this next year that we would see Jesus in our lives, in the lives of people around about us, moving in this church? Like, are we cultivating that kind of responsiveness? He's holding this baby. I I'm ready to go, God. I've seen it. But this line just, my eyes have seen your salvation. Okay, so you got to remember, they're not living and speaking in English, right? <laughs> they're speaking in Hebrew or Aramaic, depending on the time period. It's hard to know. But those languages are so similar. 
So what is the Hebrew word for salvation? When he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, the word is Yeshua. My eyes have seen Yeshua as he holds this child that it's just told us in the beginning of Luke chapter one, and he was given the name Yeshua. So he's sitting there, my eyes have seen your salvation. He's literally saying, my eyes are seeing Yeshua. Like, you're like, what the heck? Like, built into the words, built into the language, the whole naming situation. Like, there's this moment that comes, this child. Like, he doesn't even know the child's name. No one's like, this is my son, Yeshua. He just takes the child. My eyes have seen Yeshua. I'm wondering what Mary and Joseph are thinking. As they, they're like, how did he know the name? Like, like it was told to us by an angel. So, so did someone tell this guy? Like, this amazing moment. My eyes have seen Yeshua as he stands holding salvation itself in the temple. Um, the salvation which you prepared in the sight of all nations. So remember what's Luke's purpose? This is for everyone. It's for all nations. So this is not just the salvation for the Jews. This is something you've prepared in the sight of all nations. What will he be? A light of revelation to the Gentiles. He's standing in the middle of the temple declaring that he's holding the Messiah and saying, this is for the Gentiles. <laughs> and you're standing there with the lampstand, the menorah, with all of the little lights in the temple, with the fire going, with things burning, like surrounded by light, going, that's not the light that this is about. This is the light that's for all of the ethnos, all of the nations and ethnicities out there, and the glory of the people of Israel. So it's for both of us, but he's emphasizing the all nations element uh, of Jesus' role. It's just, just incredible. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. You know, I alluded to this already. Ephesians 1, as we looked at Paul's prayer, what was the prayer? Pray that you would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. So the spirit of revelation that gives light internally to us is the very thing, and he's declaring this before Paul's ever written his prayer. Paul's probably reflecting back on this, going that your eyes would be enlightened with this revelation um, and the glory of the people of Israel. Remember, like he said, the glory of the people of Israel. At this point, what is the glory of the people of Israel? It's, it's the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, the manifest cloud that comes down when they're walking in obedience. They're all standing there waiting on this giant cloud to descend, that they'd all run in fear because they can't come near it, that the high priest might die, so he's got little bells on the end of his thing, and some people think a string tied to his foot so they could drag him out if he stopped moving and the bells stopped jangling. But, but the glory was this terrifying presence that centered on the temple. The glory of your people Israel is standing right here in a baby form, like six weeks old, Jesus is the glory of Israel. Jesus is the light of the Gentiles. Um, and again, this is just such an amazing moment. He could have missed it. If he went through life as normal, he would have got there too early. If he dilly-dallied, he would have got there too late. But his responsiveness to the Spirit meant that in this moment, he holds the Messiah in his hands and, and has this revelation moment. It, it goes on. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against 
so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So in this moment of, of glory and blessing and rejoicing is the underlying pain and sorrow. I mean, it's, it's just life. The light in the darkness, the pain amidst our sorrow, the transforming work of Jesus. But knowing, and I mean, this is, we're not going to have our soul pierced because our child has been sacrificed for the sins of the world. But we have our soul pierced as, as we watch the pain of the world, as we experience the loss of the things that we care about, um, as we die to self in order to give our lives more fully to him. And then that statement in there, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. It's one of the primary things that Jesus does in his, in his life, and his death, and his resurrection, the work of the Spirit, the Word of God, um, the work of the church, it's the revealing of the thoughts of our hearts. Um, as it relates to this person of Jesus and our willingness to submit to him and his word. And so as we walk into 2021, are, are you allowing Jesus to reveal the thoughts of your heart? And are you responding to what it is that he's challenging and calling out in you? Um, so Simeon, <laughs> a man who lives in obedience to the word of God, a man who's responsive to the promptings of the Spirit, leads him to this incredible encounter with Jesus. Uh, and that's what we want to be about as a church, encountering the Savior of the world together as we live in obedience to his word and respond to his Spirit. So then the story takes a turn, uh, and he introduces us to another character who may be my favorite character in the Bible. She's just legit. Um, this is Luke 2, verse 36. There's this prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. Asher means blessed. <laughs> she was very old. So sorry in here if you're 84. Um, <laughs> scripture says you're very old. No, actually, this, this passage is, is ambiguous in how you translate it. Some translations say she'd lived with her husband seven years and then was widowed for 84 years. So it's possible that she's like, like 84 plus 7 is 91, and then plus whatever age she got married at, 12, 14. Um, so she could be 100 or so years old. So this woman, Asher, she's old. She'd lived with her husband. She's been a widow for a long time. Um, and it says she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. So this is a woman who's had pain she suffered, she's, she's had loss, and what did she do with her life? She devoted herself to the worship of God. I mean, I, I, you know I love 24-7 prayer. I mean, this is it. Night and day for potentially, depend, again, how you translate this, potentially for 84 years she's been worshiping night and day in the temple. And so she's another woman devoted to the worship of God. She spends her time in the temple in prayer and fasting and worship. And then just this little phrase that he throws in, that the look throws in there, coming up to them at that very moment. So if she decided, like, I, I, I lost my husband, I'm a widow, now I need to go find a new husband as quickly as possible, because for them, like, they're destitute. They have no source of income, so she needs someone to care for her. She wouldn't be in the temple worshiping night and day. She'd have missed this moment. But she devoted herself to, G to, to the worship of God. 
She said, I don't need personal fulfillment. I'm going to find it in him. She goes to the temple. She worships day and night. And because of that, this family walk in the door. And she walks up to them at that very moment. They intersect in the temple. And she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So what's that very moment? She walks up as Simeon takes this child and says, my eyes are seeing Yeshua, they're seeing salvation. This is the Messiah. At that moment, she sees, she hears it. She's been waiting for it just like he has. And then the result of her life, she bursts out in thanksgiving. And then you can't shut her up. It says she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So she's walking around saying, who are the people here that are looking for the Messiah to come? Who are the people that are hungering for this revelation? And she would explain to them that he's here and that he's coming. This amazing woman devoted to worship and prayer, listed as a prophet, a witness bearer to the Messiah that then becomes this avid evangelist teaching these people who the Messiah is. There's this beautiful picture of the role of women in the church as they become these conduits of the message of God to teach people uh, who he is and what he's doing. A life dedicated to worshiping God, a life that revolved around prayer and fasting, led to the most profound encounter with her Savior, so much so that you couldn't shut her up. I love it. Um, what do they both have in common? What does Simeon and Anna have in common? They'd cultivated this posture of holy expectation. I think I've mentioned this before. I mean, Luke says like, that he's waiting, Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. The word waiting is often tied to the word hope. And, and, and that word, the word waiting, is really like expecting and longing and looking ahead to what is coming. And so they've cultivated a holy expectation that God will move. They've cultivated through the rituals of Judaism, of, of rehearsing the story of God, of rehearsing the Passover, of reciting the Psalms, of looking at the promises. They've learned that God keeps his promises. They've learned that even when life doesn't look the way they want it to, that, that God is at work and God will fulfill the promises that, that he's made. And, and you sit in 2020 and you look over the year and say, what are the things that, that we've been experiencing? There's been joys in the year. You guys got the most amazing new pastor. Like, that's a joy. <laughs> um, but there's, there's been so much pain and heartache in, in the middle of the year. Um, but we can still cultivate this, this spirit of holy expectation. Because look at Simeon and Anna. What were they living with? He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's a devout Jew who's trying his best to live out what the, 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 the Old Testament, what the Torah taught. He's trying to live it out. And they're a Jewish nation that has been conquered by, by Rome. They're oppressed, they're persecuted, they're taxed, uh, they're struggling. Um, it, things are not going the way they expected them to. In the middle of that, he still has the expectation that God will come and God will move. You've got Anna living in that same context. The husband that loved her and cared for her has died, and she spent how many years um, in the temple, like dealing with grief, devoting herself to the Lord. They've experienced pain. They've experienced heartache. But in the middle of it, they lived with holy expectation that God was on the move, that God would do the things that he had said he would do. Um, so the question becomes, how are you cultivating holy expectation in your life? 
How, what are you waiting on? What promises in Scripture are you currently holding God to? Now, God promised things. You can tell him that he needs to do them. <laughs> because that's what you and Ella do to me. You promised. So, okay, I guess I got to do it. God promises and obligates himself to do these things. So what are the promises that, that you're holding him to? So there's so much in, in, in these characters, like meditating on Simeon and Anna as you walk into 2021 is a beautiful exercise of what kind of posture do we want to have in this next year to see God fulfill all of the things that we want to see him do in this church, in our community, in our lives. Um, I, I put some handouts on your table. Um, the examine is a, is a spiritual exercise um, that, that people have engaged for a long time to reflect back over the year, and it's common at this time of year. I mean, everyone does it anyway. It's the end of the year, you become reflective. You look back over the year, you start thinking about 2021 uh, and what it is that's coming next. So, so this is, is some papers to, to kind of help you if you're familiar with the exam and if this is your pattern, do what you do. Um, but there are four different versions of an exam. And what's an exam? It's just a prayer exercise where you look back over your life and you look ahead uh, to see where God has been moving and what he might want you to shed or carry forward. And, and so these are four different variations of it, just to some people connect with one way, some people connect with another way. I love the one on the back. Um, this is actually as much of a year-end exam and it's also a lifelong uh, exercise to basically write your memoir to pass down to people if if you're older in years, I would encourage you to take the time to do this. And he gives, essentially, he calls them section, he calls them chapter titles. Um, so each of the chapters that you're going to write, look back on your life. What are the things that you've loved? The things you tasted, looked at, smelled, heard, touched? What experiences have you cherished? What ideas have brought you freedom? Um, what are beliefs that you've outgrown? Um, but, but for this, for me, I, I would take some time. I'll go away for a few hours. I'll grab my journal. And I, I probably won't go through this whole thing, but I'll pick some of the statements on there that, that seem to resonate with me the most. Like that, I, I'm really interested in number four. What are the beliefs that I've outgrown this year um, that God wants me to leave behind and move into fuller experience of him? So this is just a little exercise to help you. Um, to, so I would encourage you, take some time. Like maybe grab your phone right now or your calendar, look at it and pick a time slot and just say, I'm gonna take a couple of hours um, and, and I'm just going to sit and I'm going to reflect back on what God has done this year, the good and the bad, thank him for what's been good, uh, experience and, and, and lament the things that have been bad, and then, and then look at Simeon and Anna. Who do you want to be as you walk into 2021? What practices are you going to cultivate that are going to make you a person of holy expectation so that you can experience the fullness of Jesus as he wants to reveal himself to you? So let me pray. God, you are uh, so good. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the way you're moving in this church. God, we thank you for what you've done this year. Um, you have been at work, um, and there's been, there's been joys, there's been pains. Lord, there are ways that we've honored you. There's ways that we've fallen short of your glory um, and, and your desire for how we live. So God, what we need is your help. Um, we, I don't want us as a church to walk into 2021 the same as we've been in 2020. Uh, God, there's always things that we can shed. There's always new ways to grow. So we ask for the light of revelation. God, would you reveal to us? Would you speak to us? Um, would you be leading us 
uh, as we make decisions and put healthy habits in place that allow us to honor you in a new way in, in this next year. And God, there are many promises in Scripture that we're going to hold you to. Um, God, you, you say the harvest is plentiful. You say that, that salvation is coming, Lord. You say um, that you'll exchange our life for many. And so, um, so Lord, we're, we're looking and we're hoping and we're expecting you to move. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this year, and we thank you for, for the new one coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Scott. Uh, Won't you guys stand with us for the closing song?